what really gets my dick hard is. Welcome to Metal Up Your Podcast Radio. This is your host, Clint Wells. And you know what? Today could be the best day ever. La, 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 the best day ever today just might be I can't see into the future even though it's right in front of me the trees are green the sun is shining my heart is broken We all repair But the air is filled with diamonds I can see them sparkling Everywhere And today Could be the best day ever Just to wait Today, 
Today could be the best day ever. I can't see into the future, even though it's staring right in front of me. Man, I love that song. So, if you're joining us for the first time, this is Melby Podcast Radio. These are bonus episodes where Ethan and I take turns playing you 10 songs. There's different themes for every uh, episode. One week I played my favorite Metallica deep cuts. One week I played some of my current favorite modern music. Ethan played some of his favorite Metallica ballads. I've played some of my originals. On this episode, I figured... Since I've talked a lot about being a guitar player and and uh, doing sessions, and that is kind of how I make my day job, even though I'm definitely trying to transition into being a full time writer, um, I've I've been known as a guitar player for most of my career. Now, the ten songs we're going to play today are ten of my favorite songs that I've played guitar on on uh, major records, and I like minimalism in music. My favorite guitar players might surprise you: the Mike Campbells of the world, the David Gilmore's, the um, the Neil Young's even. And some of my favorite songs that I've played on aren't necessarily songs that have a lot of uh, histrionics, although there there's a few of those moments in, uh, that we're going to listen to today. What I like about Best Day Ever is that's, that's actually from Bob Schneider's record Burden of Proof from 2013. It's the first record I ever made with Bob. I started playing with him around 2011, and then that was the next record that he wanted to make, and uh, he graciously invited me to come to Austin and I was really nervous because the drummer was a guy named J.J. Johnson, who, if you don't know, is a world-renowned drummer. Um, he played with John Mayer for a while. He's with uh, Tedeschi Trucks Band now. He's a Grammy Award winner. Just a super cool dude. I was aware of his work before I made this record. Um, and then on the bass player was a guy named Dave Monzi, who's still a good friend of mine today. He played for Fiona Apple. for He toured with her for a long time. And... Um, he also played with Tedeschi Trucks. Just a, a monster. These these musicians are just amazing players. I don't know why I, I was in the room. I I learned a lot. I was quiet a lot. And I think when I listen to this record um, all these years later, I can hear myself playing very reservedly just because the way we cut this record is we cut all the basics together in a room, meaning bass, drums, and rhythm guitar. And uh, my friend Dwight Baker produced it. He produces a lot of Bob's records. You're, you're going to hear about Dwight um, several times today. Um, he's probably, him and Paul Moker, the two producers I may have worked with the most. So Dwight would be in the control room. We would sort of learn the song, and then we would all go into the main tracking room, me, JJ, and, and uh, Dave, and burn the song down. And we would punch, or we would you know edit here and there. But then uh, that would be what we would build the vocals and the other uh, like chimey, pretty guitars on. So that was maybe two days where we did 12 songs, maybe a little more. 12 songs made the record, but we cut 12 songs. The other guys got to go home, and then I spent two days with Dwight in the control room. I don't even think Bob was there. And me and Dwight, who himself is a wonderful musician, uh, just put a lot of really ambient, pretty little candy all over the record. And this is one of Bob's more more um, introspective, Tom Waitsy, lyricy records. There weren't a lot of moments for Guitar Hero stuff. And I, just from a songwriting standpoint, I've always loved Best Day Ever because it's it's such a it feels like it's such an up song, but it's actually the lyrics pretty pretty depressing, and it's just a that's a cool trick in music to have the lyrics counterbalance the feeling of the music, because once you sort of lean into what he's singing about, you're like, hmm, he's being he's trying, to, he's being optimistic about it being the best day ever because his life is so tough, so ground down as we say. So that was Best Day Ever. Um, I like it. 
I dig it. I'm proud to have been a part of it. Moving right along. Now, some of you out there in Metal Up Your Podcast land who um, are definitely in the Venn diagram of what we all share in common on the heavy side, who may, may have been bummed out by that, uh, by that tune, are in luck because coming up next is a side project by my, one of my dearest friends, Matthew Mayfield. We're going to visit him a little later uh, on this list today, too. He has a side project called The Blue Cut Robbery, and this shit rocks. Let's just hear it, and then we'll talk about it. Here's The Blue Cut Robbery with Rock and Roll Man.
Well, and let me put it this way. Um, that's track one on the record. <laughs> the album's called Coquette, and uh, we made that record. Uh, we made it at Paul, Paul Mook's place. Man, I want to say 2013. I can't remember. Shit. I'll have to, I'll have to look up what year that came out. Um, 2014? I, I can't remember. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> it doesn't matter, actually. Actually, that record came out in 1972. How about that? Now, with that, Matthew makes um, really anthemic indie rock. Um, he's a real eclectic cat. He makes he makes very like big, beautiful. Um, he's Pearl Jam type choruses music, but we all come from we're cut from the cloth of rock and roll. And so, much like the way Alice in Chains would make their heavy alternative metal records and then go and make acoustic sensitive shit, Matthew takes breaks in between his normal records to make this blue cut stuff. And it's just it's just balls to the wall rock and roll. And we recorded that whole record live, two tape. So and Paul Moak, who produced it, also played the third guitar. That's three guitars. Our friend Tony Lacito on bass, our friend, our amazing drummer, Will Drake. And it was such a fun record to make because we would just go in, learn the tune together on the floor, uh, play it down a few times, and then we would start rolling tape. And you know, like it wasn't it wasn't do or die for real. Like we could punch, we could edit, but we treated it like do or die. Meaning, everyone better not fuck up because if we got a great drum pass, but I had a clam, clam is what we call like errors when you're playing. If I had a clammy clamerson, then we were doing it again. And <laughs> you don't want to be the guy four minutes in to a good take where everyone's feeling really good, and then clammy clamerson that guy. So for those of you who like hard rock and shit, the Blue Cut Robbery, go check it out. Google it, whatever. All the t- songs that I play today are available to either listen to for a frizzle on uh, Spotify, or to purchase for dollars on uh, the internet. <sighs> I don't care what you do. I just care that you listen. Matthew's got a new record coming out uh, soon that Ethan and I both played on, so... Um, be looking for that. Also, moving right along here. Now, I have a songwriting partner in town named Elise Davis. She's one of my good friends, good homies. We've written a lot of music together. Her last record, The Token, we co-wrote more than half of it together. And her new record coming out called Cactus, we co-wrote together, and I got to play on it. She made the record in town with a guy named Jordan Lenning, who's a very cool dude. Jerry Rowe played the drums, Eli Beard on bass, a really, really great Nashville band. And this is a song that we wrote called Last Laugh. And when you're a songwriter and you're writing songs every week, you know, most songs in the world are about relationships gone wrong. Let's just face it. I like this person. They don't like me back so good. That is the shorthand, Cliff's Notes, of probably 99% of all recorded music, I like this person, they don't like me back no good. <laughs> um, and, you know, there's a reason that people love those songs, because most people like people who don't like them back so good. <laughs> it's the state of things. But Elise and I, we're growing tired of it, and we might have been in a season of our lives where the people that we liked kind of did like us back pretty good, and we were just like having trouble maybe tapping into that. Or maybe we had just written the 8,000th song that year about that, and we were like, okay, okay, something different. And she's she's a really smart cat. She's real sensitive and interesting, and 
she wanted to write a song about the planet, about planet Earth. And um, I'm into that stuff too. You know, we wanted to write a song that was maybe a love letter or about a relationship gone bad, but it was really about us and the planet. To where if you were feeling some feelings about people and unrequited love, this song might be the song for you. Or if you're kind of bummed out about how, you know, human beings, we, we, we post up and then we just suck the resources out of everything until it's completely gone. We're not really evolved for long-term planning. It didn't really come with the operating software of um, the African tundra <laughs> was planning for the future. And uh, it's a concern that many people share and we wanted to sort of write about it, but not in a like, end apartheid. Uh, we we don't want to go to jail for the song <laughs> or anything like that. But uh, we did want to write a song about the planet, a sad love song, and uh, we did do that. And I love this recording because it's this rolly guitar part that we came up with. I think Elise actually came up with the part. And we recorded it several different ways. Jordan, um, a great engineer as well as a producer, he has these great microphones. He had some great acoustic guitars. We tried some different acoustic guitars. We tried a nylon string guitar. And then what we ended up doing, which was really cool, is we took a big body arch top, um, hollow body electric, and we mic'd, we mic'd it as if it was an acoustic. There were these like F holes on those guitars. And we put a, I think we put some kind of condenser on the F hole of that guitar, and we sent it out to a tube amp that was kind of like a, an old vintage like Gibson tube amp. And then what he did was he took those signals and sort of blended them, and it, it created this really kind of gnarly sound but it, it kind of works it's you know it's it's not it's not really pretty but it kind of is and then as a producer he added all this really great peter gabriel kind of like world music percussion stuff and made this song one of my favorites on her new record this record's not out yet it's coming out in september it's called cactus it's going to be a barn burner but for now enjoy this special treat that elise and i wrote that i played guitar on called last laugh here we go glittering I 
Maybe we're not built to last. Baby, it's true, all things must pass. We'll be like an old memory you had, and you'll be spinning around. I was really proud of that. There's a little hat tip there to old uh, George Harrison, All Things Must Pass. Maybe the greatest Beatles solo record? I don't know. There's an argument to be made for that. We really love that song, though, because we, we, you know, sometimes when you sit down to write a song, you, have a, you can have like a really good idea and then really not land it. <laughs> that definitely happens. But when you have the idea and then you really do it justice, it's just the magic's there. You put in the time and the work. Elise and I, you know, we have, we can be really combative when we work together, which is like true of probably every great partnership ever. Like we really both fight for what we care about and believe in. And, you know, like any, in any working relationship, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, sometimes you got to trust the other person. And that was one where we equally, um, we were equally, equally, uh, generous and equally fought hard for what we cared about. And, you know, usually the end product of that kind of push and pull is something better than you could do yourself. And so anyway, just listening to that with you guys just now, I just was thinking, hmm, man, we really, whether the song is good or not, I don't know because I, I'm too close to it. But in terms of what I know, what we sat down to do versus four hours later, what we came out with, we really, we really landed it. So I'm proud of it. Uh, Cact, you can buy her last record, The Token, online. Elise Davis. I'll probably put links to all this shit somewhere, like in the uh, bio or whatever. But check out Cactus coming up soon. I'm really proud of that record. Um, okay, up next, we're going to revisit Austin, Texas again. So I made Burden of Proof with Bob in 2013. Now, his producer, Dwight Baker, had was starting kind of a side project. Now, Dwight produced a lot of great shit. Um He's, he's, he's probably the best producer kind of actively working that I know of in Austin. He's got a great studio there called Matchbox Studios. Before he was producing full-time, he was a songwriter. He wrote a lot of Kelly Clarkson songs. Um, he, he's written other big songs that you might know that I'm spacing on right now. But he was also a great drummer. He drummed for Heart, the band Heart, and uh, Enrique Iglesias. Cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha. I can be your hero, baby. My wife would my wife would leave me for Enrico A. Iglesias just in a millisecond. And that and that's not a woe is me. I mean, for all you dudes out there, maybe you ladies out there who have wives or girlfriends, your wife or girlfriend will leave you for Enrique. And I'm not talking Enrique Iglesias 15 years ago. I'm talking whatever day, July whatever the fuck, 2018, Enrique Iglesias. I think he's bald now. He will steal your wife and girlfriend from you. It just What's shorter than a millisecond? Is that measurable? So Dwight had the luxury of <laughs> sitting behind him uh, playing drums for New Cake Glazies. He did a lot of great stuff before he became a producer. So when I started working with Dwight, uh, with Bob, Bob kind of brought me in. I, in. In fact, I think I think Dwight did not want me to come to Austin to play on that Bob record. Not because he didn't like me. He just didn't know me. And he thought, why have a guy from Nashville come in? when we can get a million great guitar players in Austin, many of them who are friends of mine now. And Bob was like, well, he's my touring guy, and he's going to come in to start a tour anyway. We may as well just have him do it. He does, you know, Bob, Bob liked my sauce and kind of vouched for me and got me in there. It was a fortuitous relationship because Dwight and I are, to this day, great friends, and he brought me in on other projects, including this one. So he was starting a side project just for fun with um, my friend Patty, this, this really great singer and songwriter in Austin. She was in a cool band called The Soldier Thread. 
And he just, you know, she was a friend of his and had a really unique voice, and they just kind of decided to do this side thing. So he was like, hey, while you're here doing Burden of Proof, um, I guess after we did the full band days, we were coming up into uh, the uh, the days where it was just me and Dwight. And that went so well that I think he asked me to do one more day, but to play on his new project, which is called The Wind and the Wave. And they're a duo. They have a band, but it's really just Dwight and Patty. And... You know, their debut record is one of the coolest records I've ever been a part of. I played on five or six of the tracks, but um, here's one called uh, Raising Hands, and it was a lot of fun. We, Dwight and I, had a lot of fun experimenting with like fuzz sounds. We ended up finding this fuzz factory pedal. You're going to hear the sound. It's a real fucked up, cool Jack White type fuzz thing. I even like took pictures of the pedal because I wanted to. I wanted to get one to remember the settings. So this is a song by The Wind and the Wave. Let's check it out. It's called Raising Hands, Raising Hell, Raise a Mai.
love those like haze. Well, that was the win in the wave with Raising Hands, Raising Hell, Raise Them High from their 2014 record from The Wreckage, Build a Home. That's not the title of the record, but that's from that song, From The Wreckage, Build a Home. Real, lyrically, quite deep, quite deep shit. And uh, we took them on tour with us in 2014. I think it was November of 2014. Dwight and Patty came out and they just did a duo run with us about three weeks with Bob Schneider. And um, they lived on our bus with us and... I got to watch them do their magic every night from the side of the stage, like a little fanboy, and uh, I love those people, and I'm I'm really stoked to have been part of that their debut record. I mean, w- when they put that out, or when we were making it, I mean, it really was just like a vanity side thing, and then they ended up signing with RCA and getting you know getting a full on record deal and kind of blowing up a little bit, and now they've got fans everywhere and they tour and they make records, so. I was glad to uh, to be a part of it. What's next here on the old list of Roo? I made a list. Okay, now this is an odd odd submission, but I wanted to include it because it it's probably the youngest I was represented on this list. When I was in Birmingham, which is where I'm from, by the way, I moved to Nashville in 2011. Um, I don't know how old I was then, 28 maybe, 27, 28. And, uh, but I spent most of my time obviously in Birmingham, but much of my uh, early musical life was spent playing in bands and with other songwriters around the Birmingham area, and usually with people much older than me. I started playing in a cover band when I was 16, and all the other dudes were about 10 years older, and we would go play these bars, and I was real scared. They, uh, For these venues to maintain their liquor license, I was not allowed to leave the stage, during set breaks, I had to just sit there, and I remember I always drank a cranberry juice. And while my other bandmates were out talking to friends or meeting ladies or various other things, I was just sitting on a stool uh, being real bored and scared and being worried about driving home at 1 a.m. from downtown Birmingham. I was really bad with direct. I would get lost real easy. This is all pre-phone, by the way. Like, I may have had a an ancient cell phone or a pager or something insane like that, but... I would have to just drive home to the Burbs from downtown Birmingham and I'd be lost. And, you know, imagine being 16. I mean, I wasn't, it was scary, but I also kind of felt badass about it. Like I'd be like, Hey, I'm going to go to school and the next day and people are going to know that I was in a club all night. No, never happened. Never translated into any type of meaningful social currency. Uh, People I went to school with didn't really even understand it. And of course I wasn't the braggadocious type douchebag type. Thank God. Um, but I, I do think all that paid off later and a hallmark of, of learning in the music world is to surround yourself with people who are better than you. And that was the case, you know, with these dudes, they, they had 10 years on me. They were, they were making real music out in the world. I had, I had a lot to learn. This was quite the step up from my, my friends playing and playing Metallica covers in the garage, which those were some good education days too. Um, but one of the bands I was floating around in was a band called Volant with these two brothers, Kevin and Keith Harrison. To this day, extremely talented people. I think they still do like cover stuff in Birmingham. But I was kind of in this band, and they, 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 they at the time were straddling this line where they were worth a lot of tickets as a cover band because these dudes could sing and play anything. They just had these great voices. and But they were also writing some really great original stuff, and they were actually making records. They made a record with a producer there named Jason Elgin. And... uh they made this little EP that just kind of blew all the cover band stuff away because it was real, you know? It was their real stuff. It was like, 
it wasn't just us singing Pearl Jam songs or Edwin McCain or Train or fucking Bon Jovi or whatever the fuck it was we were doing. Um, it had a lot of heart and soul, and they started to actually book real shows, not just cover circuit. You know, some clubs are kind of known for this is a cover band circuit. This is like a real band circuit where you really duke it out with your own art. And they were starting to get into that. And now thinking back on it, just the fact that they had me around is so insane. And then they they knew that I was kind of writing songs. I mean, good God, the songs I was writing when I was that age. 16, I was maybe 16, 17, 18. I mean, they had to have been so bad. But they heard some of my songs and really liked them. And at the time, I was involved in a, I was involved in a church where I was writing a lot of music for a church. We were taking old hymn poetry from like the 1700s, just the, the, the hymn lyrics, and we were writing kind of contemporary music to it to sing at church. And somehow they, I was probably mortified when they found it, but they heard some of those like hymns I was writing. And they, I guess they would have considered themselves spiritual dudes, but they weren't very religious, you know, like they were in their mid twenties having fun playing rock and roll, you know, but they were, they were deep cats. So they thought that whole project was interesting. And they asked me to write one for them for the project called Volant. That was the project. And I did that. I took a um I took an advent hymn which is like a Christmassy hymn about the coming of Jesus and he's a baby but then the sort of the whole deal with the advent is that it sort of foreshadows the second coming of Christ and uh it's pretty interesting allegory and all this stuff with Jesus coming into the world a couple of times and for different reasons and it was really cool to take it to this band where, as, as for me, it meant a lot because I was heavily ingrained in the church I was in, heavily involved. These dudes were kind of outside of that, but they sort of appreciated what was broadly interesting about it. So I took this song to them that we were about to play. They loved it, and you're going to hear them. They sing like angels, especially together. Siblings, when they sing together, have this really sort of preternatural ability to just, it just sounds like butter. They they know, they know where each other is going. And, uh, so I took this song to them. I think they made some changes. They probably improved it. And we went to Synchromesh, which is the Jason Elgin studio in Tarrant, Alabama, which is insane. And we recorded it. It's got this really cool, big acoustic sound. And then they kind of let me go crazy with what I was really into at the time as a guitar player was like ambient beds and sounds. I still do it a lot, but I had a whammy pedal. You're going to hear all this stuff. So this is basically just acoustics and electrics. It's basically me... <laughs> Just a big playground I was allowed to make. And then they sing over it and harmonize. And I'm, there may be like a bass or something. Um, but this is a song called Divine. And I didn't write the words. I can't, I don't know, some ancient, I guess 1700s isn't ancient. But some some old hymn writer wrote this a long time ago. And I think we even changed some of the words just to make it work. But this is a song called Divine. And this is from when I was maybe 17 or 18. So check it out. Here it is. My soul, let us try for a season.
Just listening back to that right now, I'm struck at what a strange song that is. What a strange song. And it makes me miss that dude, the the, the little 18-year-old me running around who just didn't really know the rules. Didn't really know what I was doing. I mean, there's things about that song I, I don't love, like I can hear that I don't know. But there are things about it where I'm like, man, I wish I didn't know so much anymore. Because there's weird left turns in that melodically and, and quarterly and structurally that I would never do today, and that I, I kind of miss that sort of b- b- dumb bravery. Okay, well, that was as weird as it gets. <laughs> For those of you who are like, this is getting real weird, just know it's that's as weird as it gets. Okay? No biggie. Okay, the next song uh, is another Bob Schneider track, and I wanted to include it because it's actually a cover that we did. Uh, We were asked to be a part of the Looking Into You tribute to Jackson Brown album. This was a double album that came out, let's see, I'm trying to remember when it came, fuck, let me just do this whole thing again. All right, the next song is another Bob Schneider song, and I wanted to include this one. It's a cover. We were asked, uh, I think in late, 2013, maybe early 2014, to be a part of a record called Looking Into You, a tribute to Jackson Brown. And uh, we got we were featured on it with, I mean, the other artists on this record, I mean, it's amazing. It was Don Henley, Bonnie Raitt, Indigo Girls, Lyle Lovett, Ben Harper, Lucinda Williams, Keb Moe, Springsteen's on it, Sean Colvin, the great Sean Colvin, Joan Osborne. And uh, they let us all, it's really Bob, but Bob and I were working a lot at the time. And uh, I was basically living at his house half the year in Austin. And 
we cho- they let us all choose, and Bob chose running on empty, which when he told me that's what he chose, I was like, oh my God, dude, you chose like his most known song, the one that people are going to hate us for covering. And it turned out to be pretty fortuitous because uh, it's some the dude who made the record told me one of the last times I saw him that our version of Running on Empty it was by far the most popular song on the record. And that in Texas, where it gets played a lot on the radio, that that's the most played song. And uh, I remember we, Bob and I kind of waited to the last minute. We were at his house in Austin, and uh, we listened to the original a few times. Of course, we've all heard the song Running on Empty a million fucking times. It's a really great song. But, you know, Jackson's version, version the definitive version, is like really up, you know? It's, it's kind of like an up song. And we decided to just make it melancholy and slow it down, and because... The song, the lyrics of the song take on kind of a different meaning being sung. You know, when Jackson wrote that song, he was 19 years old. And now that, now that a lot of time has passed, the song kind of has evolved a lot and grown with him and grown with all of us in our consciousness as listeners of, of top, you know, AAA radio. And uh, we went to a studio. We didn't do this one with Dwight. I can't remember the name of the dude. It was the guy who put the record together had a studio, and he wanted all of us, including Don Henley, to record at this one studio. I wish I could remember what it was called. But uh, we want we wanted it all to go down live. We had our friend uh, uh, Kevin Lovejoy played piano. I can't remember the drummer's name, but he was such a cool cat. Uh, and then I went down with an acoustic in a room by myself. I couldn't even see the dudes. And Bob sang it while we went down with it. And then you're going to hear this really pretty, chimey electric guitar throughout that I did. I went in the control room and set up my pedal board and sat Indian style on the floor and they just ran it one time, and uh, I just did this really pretty thing that I'll, I'll show you a little bit later with my electric here. But um, really, really, really proud to have been on this recording of uh, Run on Empty by Jackson Brown. Let's check it out. Looking out at the road, rushing under my wheels Looking back at the years gone by Like so many summer fields In 85 I was 17 Running up the 101 I don't know I'm running now I'm just running on Running on, running on empty, running on, running by, running in at the sun, but I'm running behind. Gotta do what you can just to keep your love alive. Trying not to confuse it with what you do. Survive. 89, I was 21. Called the road home. I don't know when the road turned on to the road I'm on. Running on. Running on empty. Running on. Running by. 
everywhere I'll go People need some reason to Takes all night That'll be alright If I can get you to smile Before I fine i'm running into the sun but i'm running behind man so i kind of got toned out up here that i wanted to demonstrate there's this great thing you can do called a shimmer effect and it's been around for a while but it used to be harder to achieve it's a lot easier now with these new gizmos but it puts these high octaves on whatever you play and it's it's polyphonic which means it tracks whole chords so for example here's some single note stuff can hear that like synth thing behind it it's really cool and I, I kind of utilize that for the, the thing here's what it sounds like without that without that effect it's, we're here wet like kind of ambient reverby thing but when you add that shimmer guy 
and it's great for swells too. I just wanted to demonstrate that. Okay, are we still in Bummertown? Let's see. Let me look at the list here. Why do we all like bummery songs? Oh, here we go. We're going to come out of Bummertown. I mean, not really. Let's face it. Do we... <laughs> We're never coming out of Bummertown. <laughs> uh, but this is definitely a more up song. My friend Charlie Mars, some of you may have heard of him. He's, a, he's from Oxford, Mississippi. He's a total fucking character. I have so many Charlie Mars stories. Uh, they're too numerous. Too numerous. Um... You just never run out of stories with this guy. He, he's such an interesting cat. He's, he's seen a lot of the world. He's, he's seen and done a lot of crazy stuff. He's a great songwriter. I first met him touring with Griffin House in 2009. Uh, Charlie came and opened with us, and he let us use his van, and that's how I met him. And uh, if we're ever, you and I, faithful Metal Up Your Podcast radio listeners, if we're ever out having a beer somewhere, you can ask me uh, to tell you a Charlie Mars story, and, and I will. I'll, 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 I'll leave off the... Uh, the colorful rated R stories here. But he's a great dude. He's been a good friend to me. And he was making a new record last year or two years ago with Dwight in Austin. And he called me up. I think Dwight called me because he knew I was coming to Austin for South by Southwest. Now, South by Southwest is a huge music festival that happens every March in Austin. And I mean, as a as a side guy guitar player, you're just, um, you know, I went to that festival maybe 11 years in a row working, and it's just a week of, it's a lot of fun, but it is a lot of craziness. You're stacking shows, and you're on 6th Street, and you're playing maybe at Maggie Mays down on Lower 6th, and then you've got a gig at, you know, wherever, um, four blocks up on 6th Street, and you've got to carry your amp and your pedal board, and it's, just, it's madness, it's a sea of people. All, it seems like all of Nashville's there. You're seeing all your friends everywhere. You're trying to catch your friend's shows. And um, it really is kind of a beautiful, fun ride. And I was there that year with a, a really great band called Escondido. And, you know, we had our 10 shows slated. I think I was maybe picking up a few gigs with Bob. And uh, Dwight called and said if I wanted to come play on this Charlie record, which, of course, I'm a big fan of Charlie's work and, and uh, was really stoked to have some more stuff to do while I was in Austin. If I'm going to be away from my family, it's good to like play a bunch of shows, make a record. Um, I don't like to sit by idly. And so I agreed to do it. I was really excited about it. Charlie called me with kind of his, his vision, which I thought was cool. But he, his idea was he didn't want me to play electric on it. He just wanted me to play acoustic. And the record he kept um, talking about, which is a record that I know literally know every second of, back to front, is a record by Neil Young called Harvest. And Neil Young made Harvest in Nashville with a band he put together of Nashville cats called the Stray Gators, like Kenny Buttry and Ben Keith and all these classic old players. And it's a very acoustic, uh, rustic record. And that's that's kind of the record Charlie wanted to make. And I'm all about that, you know, but I reminded him, I said, you know, there is some pretty cool electric guitars on Harvest, and if we really want to take it to Harvest Land, maybe let's not put these limitations on it. And he thought that was fine, and so the rule we all made for ourselves, and we kind of got Dwight in on it philosophically, was no um, no delays or reverbs, like no tricks, you know, like none of the shit I just played you with all that like chimey, harmonic, shimmer stuff. 
He wanted it to be just very real sounding, very in your face, the way that Harvest sounds. So uh, Dwight and I got together at his studio, and we got these old um, magnetone amps. And there's no reverb on them. They have maybe a little bit of tremolo, but they they have this kind of one sound, but it's so great. And our rule was we're going to record everything with these amps. And I could kind of switch around with guitars. I mean, I think I eventually sort of foisted in like maybe a volume pedal, maybe maybe a delay. But uh, but I loved that the template for for my role in the project was to just be dry, in your face, very part heavy, like committing to parts. I ended up playing a lot of acoustic on the record too, but this is a song that I chose because it's so fun. It's got a lot of Charlie's kind of you know eye winking personality and storytelling in it, and I just love the sort of Motownish guitars that I ended up playing on the song. Uh, I've talked too much about it already. This is from a record that Charlie put out called uh, Dream Kitchen, and it's a song called "She Ain't Coming Back" because she don't like me no good no more. Here it is. Saw a sign on my rearview mirror said, Welcome to Tennessee. Once it was an invitation, but now it's out of yours for me. I had to move home, get a job. I fell in love with living hard, and I wrote a song about it. And my song went something like, Sun comes up, it's a shot of whiskey. Had a girl, but she don't miss me. That sun goes down, it's a shot of Jack. Everybody knows that she ain't coming back Had a dream of write a song for a country star Like Tim McGraw or Kenny Chesney And I'd play covers in the downtown bar Cause I'd done my time in Mississippi But then I played my song for a friend Who had a friend The next thing I know my song was top ten with a bullet And my song went something like Sun comes up, it's a shot of whiskey Had a girl, but she don't miss me That sun goes down, it's a shot of Jack And everybody knows that she ain't coming back Everybody knows that she ain't coming back Nashville, it was a hot summer night. Heard my song on the radio, and my song, my song went something like, Whoa, oh, 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 Everybody knows that she ain't coming back. Whoa, oh, 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 Everybody knows that she ain't coming back. That song comes up with a shot of whiskey. Had a girl, but she don't miss me. That song goes down, it's a shot of Jack. Everybody knows that she ain't coming back Everybody knows that she ain't coming back Everybody knows that she ain't coming back She ain't coming back She ain't coming back Charlie Marshall, she ain't coming back I love the just that dry type I've kind of lifted that from this old Phoenix record called Alpha Metallica. There's, uh, <laughs> I said Alpha Metallica, Alphabetical, uh, band called Phoenix. Um, but it's just that. There's, just, there's no even reverb on that. You can just have a lot of fun with that, especially if you double it. 
and then you uh, then you put harmonies on it. Maybe you can put a little verb. I mean, it just depends on what the song's asking for, but that's more interesting to me than, you know, the the hero shit. Sometimes it just feels good to just... Okay, anyway. Uh, I love that song. Uh, if you like that flavor, like, that, that record's really fun. It's kind of got that. Charlie's got this really great, like, beach, beach vibe. In fact, the record's not called Dream Kitchen. It's called Beach Town. Uh, it was the working title when we were making it with Stream Kitchen. I was kind of looking it up while I was listening with you guys to what was going on. Uh, next, we're hearing from our good friend Matthew Mayfield again. This is a record I made. Uh, it was a record called Recoil with Paul Moak. And the, uh, Matthew and Paul are capable of uh, playing all, most of their stuff. They have a really great record that they did together called uh, Banquet for Ghosts. It was mostly just them. It's a lot of programming and stuff, but... I believe Ethan played drums on the record, and I came in for a day and played on four or five songs. Did my did my little chimey, melodic, the edge U two thing, which goes so well with Matthew's wonderful songs. I've toured with Matthew for a long time, and uh, one of the tours we did for this record, we opened for Blue October, and which are a bunch of friends of ours, a bunch of friends of mine still, and. Uh, I was really glad we got to play this song Indigo every night. Um, it's a beautiful little song. Matthew's great at these like real heart-wrenching choruses, and I was really happy with what uh, what I brought to the table for the song Indigo. So let's just jump in and hear it. This is Indigo by Matthew Mayfield from 2006-17's Recoil. To a funeral and a baptism on the same day Thought that God was real in both the good and the bad way I started to think of you again And it's funny how we always kept the track of time And every minute I had with you a silver line Oh sickness had you bending I'll see you again And we'll be riding high on Streets of so strong I want to take a ride through Sunset in Mexico Open my eyes No more goodbyes I still see you Come on, old friend Take my hand Show me the ropes Go around the bend Open my eyes No more goodbyes I still see you And I watch you go From mighty find a flat line And I held back tears As your mother gently lost her mind and after she was long gone, I sat with you the whole on To one more memory with you, to our next rendezvous I wanna take a ride through the indigo, over the sunset in Mexico Open my eyes, no more goodbyes, I still see you Come on up and take my hand, show me the ropes I 
ages home on the same day Thought that God was real in both the good and the bad ways On the good and the bad days When we played that song live on the Blue October tour, that ending always kind of opened up, and we always maybe added a few more bars to it, and I got to maybe let loose a little bit. And and, uh, one of my, just listening back, thinking about it, one of my fondest memories was uh, that point of every night, Jeremy, who's the drummer for Blue October, a good friend of mine, I think that was one of his favorite Matthew tunes. And I would always invariably look over during kind of the ending part to Indigo, and he would always be kind of side stage, like nodding and smiling. He was... uh, a very uh, supportive dude and uh, a good dad. It's someone who I look up to a lot. And, you know, the Blue October guys are an inspiration to work with in a lot of ways. Um, the good friends of ours, just dudes who have really been through a lot and landed on the other side. They're making the best music of their career. They're as healthy as they've ever been. Their fans are so loyal and cool and were very generous to us as openers. Um really can't say enough good things about them. And, you know, Matthew is one of my best friends in the world. We grew up just a few miles from each other in Birmingham, but we didn't meet until I moved to Nashville. Can you believe that? Same age. um, Both the three bands we were obsessed with in our childhoods were Metallica, Guns N' Roses, and Pearl Jam. And in so many ways, him and I are so alike. And when we finally started working together, I mean, just we became best friends immediately. He's one of these lifers. I'm very lucky to have a handful of, of lifers, lifer best friends. And uh, it's just so amazing that we were just right down the road from each other our whole lives and didn't really meet until we were adults. And I mean, like, way into adulthood. Like, we didn't meet until we were like 28 or 29. So, I, I, it's a, I, first of all, I think the song's good. I think the recording turned out great. Paul? Uh, but it's just such a treat to have documents of making music with him. Makes me feel really grateful. And then, of course, that was before I knew Ethan. Oh, no, maybe I did know Ethan. But it's cool that I'm on that record with Ethan, too. Oh, goodness. It's just a little love fest over here, isn't it? Well, let's keep it going. There is an artist who's a good friend of mine who I love very much, who I've done a lot of touring with. His name is Griffin House. And... Getting the Griffin House gig, I used to listen to Griffin House Records, which, by the way, his first record, Lost and Found, was produced by Paul Moak a million years ago. And I was living in Birmingham, probably playing in that band Volant, playing in cover bands. And I had these Griffin House records, and he was just like a Tom Petty to me, you know? He, I just remember thinking, what, what must it be like to play guitar for a guy like that? And just without going through all the bullshit details, I mean, I ended up, several years later, getting that gig. And I was still living in Birmingham, and I drove up to start the tour, and 
kind of started my friendship with Griffin, and then we went out on the road for eight weeks. We did eight weeks in a van. Um, I was 25, and, uh, I, you know, it was my first time going to many of the cities in America. Uh, first time in L.A., first time in Boston, first time in Seattle and Portland, first time in Salt Lake City. It was just a whole, it was two months of new experiences for me. The shows went great. Uh, it was a dream come true gig. We've been friends all these years later. I've made several records with Griffin. I don't get to play with him live as much anymore. Uh, I, I do whenever I'm available and whenever he needs someone. He's got other people that play with him now. And, um, but anyway, Griffin and I go back a long way. We have a lot of history. He Two records ago, he made a record called, called So On and So Forth that's really cool, really cool record. And I played on the single of that record, a song called Paris. And he made the record in New Jersey, He's he's got this whole Springsteen thing, man. He just wanted to be like close to Bruce up there, and so he cut it with a dude in New Jersey, producer, and that dude had his own cats to, that played on it. And they, I mean, they, the record is great. It's mostly all those dudes. Now, this was a song that Griff knew wanted to be a single, and it, you know, it happens. Like he was just, it was missing something. So he called me and said, "Hey, dude, I'm just going to send you this mix. Uh, just just put your sauce on it. Just load load it up with Clint sauce." And then I send it back to the producer, and we'll just see. You know, maybe it won't. Maybe it'll work out. Maybe it won't. Maybe we'll like what you did. Maybe the song's not good. You know, it's, artists go through all that shit. Is it me? Is it you? Is it the song? Is it the producer? Is it, is it Saturn? Is Saturn in retrograde again? Which, by the way, the answer is yes. Which, P.S. I don't know if that's true. I don't fuck around with astrology, but um. He sent me the song. I immediately loved it. Immediately heard all these parts. So I did my chimey. So when people send me that stuff, no one's here to produce me. So I'm just sitting in my in my house, going, "Well, there's ten things that can happen." And so I did a chimey thing, which you know, chimey. Here's what I would call chimey. A little bit of delay. Hear that? A little bit of delay. Maybe not that much gain, but. Or maybe, so that's kind of the low chime. You can do a high chimey guy. That'd be like a chime part, right? So I do a chimey guy, and then I think I did a diamond guy. Now diamonds are just whole notes. And then you can do all sorts of fun stuff with diamonds. So if I did that low diamonds, I could do high diamonds, but with this this uh, Bigsby. And then I did probably a big long slide guy, which I use a lot in choruses to open choruses up. And with the volume pedal, if it's in C, you can do this great... Uh, You can even do much longer ones. It's not like Rykuter slide. It's sort of just like atmospheric, you know, and like that's just kind of my thing. So I loaded it up with like 10 things, sent it to his producer, 
And I really don't even know what they used or did, and I can't even remember. You know, I did it maybe an hour and sent it and hoped for the best. And this is what came back, and I was really proud of it and even heard shit in it. And I was like, oh, cool, I forgot I even did that. And this is a song called Paris by my friend Griffin House on a record called So On and So Forth, and here it goes. I'd like to take you to Versailles In Centre Pompidou Follow the Seine to the Notre Dame Griffin House with Paris. What a sweet sensation. Ooh, I love all that falsetto-y stuff. He's great at that. He's like, Griffin, I've talked about this before, but we kind of come from this songwriting school. Like, Peter Gabriel is probably the best example where his songs are so hooky. I mean, Sledgehammer is one of the hookiest songs ever. And then what happens at the end of the song is 
he just sings like 10 more hooks that themselves could have been other songs and have been great. Like, uh, you know, Sledgehammer, we all know the song. Sledgehammer, why don't you call my name? And then at the end of the song, this kind of vamping, he does the whole, I kicked habit, shed my skin, this is the new stuff. You know, like, he just opens up all these other hooks. Uh, anyway, Griff, Griff's good at that. Like, at the end of that song, like, ooh, ooh, ooh. And it makes it real easy to play, too. I mean, uh, anyway, I'll try to do it again. But uh, I love I love that stuff with Griff, man. And he's such an earnest dude, and... I could really hear listening to that, just like all the he brings out the the, the Mike Campbell in me for sure. Like the, the he the Tom Petty stuff is all there for me. Um, so I'm gonna leave you with one of my favorite Bob Schneider recordings I've ever done. Uh, he wrote the song for a record called King Kong, which came out in 2015, and uh, it's a song called Montgomery. And we joke about it because I, I'm from Montgomery, and he usually kind of gives me a hard time about that, but. We're in the songwriting group together where we, we have to write songs based on phrases. And I can't remember what the phrase was, but I do remember when he sent the demo for this song. I maybe even emailed him at the time and said, dude, this needs to go on a record. And they started to make King Kong, what would become King Kong, before I could get to Austin. I don't remember why. I was doing something else. And there's an Austin guitar player named David Grissom. Some of you may be familiar with him. He's He's one of the best guitar players in the world. He's Austin based, and he plays with Bob. He was playing with Bob at the time when I wasn't around, which I found extremely uh, intimidating. There were no sour grapes. There wasn't any bad vibe, but I just thought, man, he's you know like I feel it was just like when I played in that room with JJ and uh, with JJ Johnson and um, uh, Dave Monzi. It's like, what am I doing? What can I possibly bring to the table that David Grissom can't? And you're going to hear this very moody song with a big guitar hero moment, big, uh, a big guitar section. And when I got to the session, David had already done maybe a day of guitars, or maybe he'd just done a few songs. I know, I know that they originally wanted Dave, David to play the solo for the song Montgomery, because he's such a fucking guitar guy. And uh, they, pl- I just was curious, you know, to hear what they'd played, and they played it. And it was David Grissom being David Grissom, like the tone was great, and it was, and it really ramped up into a very frenetic, um, uh, notey, impressive guitar solo. But it just did not feel right to me, and I hated to be that guy. But they all know me. It wasn't like um, I should play the solo. What I said was, look, obviously David's a great guitar player, and I can't play. I can't play what he just played. But I did say, I don't think it's right, and uh, if you give me one shot at it, I think I, can, I think I can do something that makes more sense. And, you know, to their credit, they were like, okay, I mean, if you can beat it, beat it. But if you can't, we're not going to waste a lot of time on it. Because I, I played on the whole record. I had, like, I had two days of other shit to do. And uh, this was, I think, the very first thing I did. And the solo that you hear in this song is real close to the first thing I played. I do think... I do think we overdubbed a little bit of it, but it was pretty clear immediately that this was going to make more sense. And to this day, it's, you know, Bob has told me it's one of his favorite solos of all of his records. It's probably the, my favorite solo I've ever, I know I'm building it up now. It's, you're going to be like, this sucks, but it was just a special moment. I'm glad we caught it. And the song is beautiful and it's a heartbreaking song. And when we were touring for King Kong, 
we would open with this tune, which is very, very moody, Pink Floyd-y. And of course, live, it was a, a real blast to play. Bob's current guitar player, because I'm doing this country stuff, I'm not really available to play anymore, is a friend of mine named John Sanchez, who's so great. And I happened to be in Austin on a different thing about a year ago, maybe a little longer, and uh, I got to go see Bob play, which is always a treat for me to go and see Bob play. It's, it's a little painful, because I miss being up there with those dudes, but I just... They're all my friends, and I love the music so much. So I went and saw them, and they played Montgomery. And I know John's a great guitar player. and But part of me was like, all right, let's see how he handles it. You know, like, is he going to play it faithful to the recording or whatever? And he murdered it. Um, and it was so cool and humbling and weird to see such a great guitar player like John Sanchez play a solo that I pulled out of my butt uh, with Dwight over at the studio. So here's the song. I'll, I may say some words uh, at the end to send you all off, but uh, well, fuck it. Here's Montgomery by my friend Bob Schneider. Montgomery I'm coming home Montgomery Coming home Without a friend to my name Without a sand in my pocket With no one to blame With my dreams like rockets I crashed to the ground With a whole
And that was Montgomery by my good pal, Bobby Schneider. I'm going I'm, I'm to give it up for Bob. This is for you, Bob. He's, he's not listening, by the way. Uh, that was from the record King Kong. Um, all those records are for sale on vinyl. The, the Burden of Proof, the one I made before, uh, King Kong. It's such a treat being a vinyl. Most of you know out there that I'm a big vinyl cat. And uh, to be able to have, I mean, I have maybe 11 or 12 records that I've played on, on vinyl, which is just... I don't know, it's so cool. It's going to be so cool to give all that stuff to my kid later on, too. Um, and that was Middle Up Your Podcast radio episode. I don't know which number. Numbering them was probably not a great idea. Um, I do appreciate all of you who hang in there with this. It's such a fun uh, excuse to listen to music together, to talk about music. I want to have Brad Lyons and I, one of the co-hosts of uh, Single Podcast Theory, one of my best friends of all time, uh, and a guy I wrote a lot of songs with. Anyway, we talked about we're going to do a Metal Up Your Podcast radio episode together. And if you guys have any ideas for themes for the for the radio shows, definitely let us know. Uh, you can still email us at the same email address, show at gmail.com. And uh, here's the deal. like if, if you don't dig it or whatever, just don't listen to it. We're, we're, we're going to just make them bonus episodes. They will never be replacing our Metallica talk. That's a really important... It's the most important thing of what we're doing here, but um, what we've learned in our travels and in our correspondence with many of you is that the conversation is feeling a bit bigger. It's feeling more like uh, we're all friends, and we're all sort of on a journey together, and Metallica is kind of the main focal point, but we all branch out in other ways and like other stuff, and it's been a really cool thing. So we do appreciate all the support, and uh, I guess we'll be seeing you Again, later on the old Metal Up Your Podcast radio. I do love and respect all of you. I'm grateful for any of you who listen. And uh, I sure do hope that you all are having the best day ever. And today, be the best day ever.